Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning and welcome again to Glory Church Online. My name is Greg McKinney, and for those of you who are maybe new to Glory Church Online, uh, I'm the lead pastor. My wife and I uh, head up Glory Church, and we are honored that you would join us this morning. Uh, It has been a beautiful week in Kansas City. Uh, Those of you who are living local, uh, though it has rained a little bit, the sun has been shining. Glory Church family, I hope that you've been enjoying it outside, soaking that sun up. Um, It has been a needed blessing for my family, Um, but also this week we've been able to come alongside some very amazing local nonprofits and just uh, come alongside them and support them financially. We've been able to bless them and they're doing amazing work in this city. So I just want to go ahead and say thank you. Those of you who are weekly contributors to the needs uh, and, and the investment here at Glory Church, those of you who've been giving financially even in this quarantine, thank you. We are able, because of your gifts, to just answer needs as they arise. In fact, we are already planning some really awesome things in the future, service projects, ways to bless and celebrate some people in our city who are making great changes and great work. And it's because of your gifts that we are able uh, to bless others and be a blessing in our city. Uh, If you are new to Glory Church, maybe you've been watching online and maybe you wanted to visit us when we were having our in-person services, but just never got around to it, but you've been joining us online. I would love to get to know you. I think the hardest part of the online is a no face-to-face interaction, but I will tell you that the power of the church is that I'm not just this floating head, that everyone who's been communicating or singing on screen is not a floating head, but we are real-life people walking this real-life journey with Jesus, and I want you to know that we want to walk it with you. And so right now, if you're watching on our online portal, you have the opportunity to just connect with us. Um, And if you're watching it on Facebook or outside of this, maybe through the Glory Church podcast, uh, you can actually text the word FIRST to 816-379-3379. And the reason we want to do this is because we just want to get to know you and let you know that you have a family here. But the benefit to you is we actually want to hand you a gift. That's right, we want to send you a a $5 gift card to a local coffee shop if you are local to Kansas City or a a coffee shop that we can make sure uh, that you have the ability to just get a cup on us. Uh, It's my opportunity to to just say, though I can't have coffee with you, I I can at least pay for your coffee as we get to know each other. We want to just open that door for communication. So please take advantage of that. Again, do so now on the online portal or you can text FIRST to 816-379-3379. But for everyone, I just want to give you a nice little heads up. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. So if you have a mom, if you know a mom, if you're you're married to a mom, get ready to celebrate her, okay? Uh, They are amazing people, the mothers in our life, and they are worthy to be honored and celebrated. And uh, so though we will bless some Glory Church moms this week, and I'm excited about it, I have a challenge for all of you. 
Um, this week, you're probably going to already be posting and talking up mom a lot, um, but I would love, we would love as a church to just come alongside your celebration, and uh, I'd love for you to post a picture this week of you and your mom, and in the caption, let us know, let everyone know what is one thing you got from your mom. What's one thing you got from your mama? Maybe it's an attribute, maybe it's a characteristic, maybe it's something funny, it could be something sweet, but we would love to read it, and what you can do is tag us in, tag Glory Church in, whether you're on Facebook or Instagram, post a picture of your mom, tag us in, let us know what you got from your mama so that we can celebrate that woman that God has given in your life. Uh, We want to come alongside and honor your mom with you. And uh, on Mother's Day, this is why we want you to do it. You ready? On Mother's Day, we're going to at random pick one of those and both you and your mom or if you're like me uh, and your mom has, has passed away, is no longer living, it could be you and a mom of your choice will get a prize. We have this, a giveaway. We, we want to do this for you, a fun little thing this week. So post a picture of your mom. All right, let's all get behind this. Let us know what you got from your mama. Uh, but this morning we are on week three of a brand new series over the book of Philippians. And I'm so honored to keep this up. If, uh, if you've been with us the past two weeks, you know that we tackled chapter one over the past few weeks. If you are um, just joining in or you missed one of those, know that at any time, You can re-listen. You can listen for the first time there on our website or on Glory Podcasts with the Apple Podcast. You just type in Glory Podcasts, you can find it. We'd love to get you caught up so that you can can track with us as the weeks go on. But this week, we are opening up chapter two of Philippians for the first time, and we are going to set in it both this week and next week for Mother's Day. And I'm honored and excited to learn from my wife next week as she teaches us uh, over the next, the last half of chapter two. Um, But this morning, if I'm completely honest with you, I struggled with this text this past week. I'm excited about it now, but uh, for those of you who are on the worship team who who sat with me on Tuesday as I was venting about my struggle with this text, uh, it was real. Out of all of Philippians, chapter 2 is probably the most familiar with me. I've had it memorized for years. I know it. And if you know the text of chapter 2, those first 11 verses, it is so familiar and it's so blunt and direct. It is Paul's just saying it as it is. And I struggled with uh, what do we get from this text other than just it. I just wanted to read it and be done. Um, And so I was struggling with it, but God has been gracious and I am excited. We have been focusing this whole time in the book of Philippians through these lenses of, of sufferings and joys. And we've been, we've been trying to figure out this relationship between the two that in Christ our suffering can meet joy. And so though there's a lot of applications that can come from these first 11 verses, though there's a lot of practical things that you can take away, they all find commonality in one principle. And so at the get-go, at the very beginning, I just want to give it to you, uh, and you will see that we're, co- we're sticking with the theme of suffering and joy, but if you're taking notes, write this down, that our suffering meets joy when our eyes are off of ourselves, 
that our suffering actually meets joy, that it is, it is in, overwhelmed with joy when we learn the discipline of taking our eyes consistently off of ourselves. And uh, you will read in this text as we get into it, the word suffering is no longer in it. Okay, but do know if you've been with us the last few weeks, all of chapter one is full of the word suffering. Paul's talking about his suffering. He's talking about his current suffering. And then he ends chapter one talking about the Philippians suffering, where they are getting persecuted like he was persecuted. And I think chapter two is this transition where he's trying to now lead them out of just dwelling in their suffering, owning the fact that they have been persecuted, and now he wants to lead them into what they should act like. And this is what, where we meet joy, is when we take our eyes off of ourselves. So you will, you will hear as I read it, you will read it, and you will pick up notes where he's saying, look to other people, keep your focus, your attention, your mind on something else. And I think God has something for us. I believe it. I know it to be true. So Glory Church, as we get into this, ready your hearts. Uh, Those of you who are watching for the first time, ready your hearts. We're opening up to chapter 2 of Philippians, and we're going to just dive into it. Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, what He's doing right now as we pause, He is setting up this plausible, reasonable argument to sort of uh, cast out any selfish defense mechanism that would arise in you, in me, in the Philippians as they read what is to come. He's literally saying, hey, glory church, hey, Philippians, if you've had any grace from God, if you've ever experienced his tender compassion, if you've shared in anything from the Spirit, then listen, listen to what I'm about to say, then you have an obligation to do this. And he says, in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, Philippians. Have the same love, glory church. Be one in spirit and one in purpose. And how do you do it? By not letting anything be done out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, he says, value others above yourself. Each of you should look, here's where your eyes, you should look not only to yourself, to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is is getting out, make my joy complete, Philippians. As a leader, I see you and you can make my joy complete by taking your current suffering of being persecuted and not allowing it to narrow your focus on yourself on your needs, on your wants, on forcing your success plan through it, but instead focus on the needs of others. Be one, be like-minded, be one in purpose, that for some reason, in some powerful way, your interests are actually needed if I'm going to be united with God's people. That I need to know what your interests are, what your likings are, who you are as a person, what your giftings are. That in fact, if I do not tend and care and, and, and acknowledge that there is you and your impulses and your interests, then I will inevitably be led into selfish ambition, vain conceit, and what happens is a spiraling down into more suffering. 
In fact, I wrote this down, that my eyes have either the ability to bring unity or disunity. By where my eyes are focused, I can either bring unity in my life or disunity. Are my eyes focused on Greg's plans or are my eyes noticing your connection, your interests connection to mine? I'm not looking only to myself, but I'm valuing what you have, what we have, what is out there. I'm valuing the lives of those around me. It's interesting because my interests, when not combined with yours, will always lead me down a spiral into more suffering, into the selfish ambition, which is an absence of joy. I wonder how many of our experiences of joy have been blocked, limited, walled up because we have only been looking to our own interests instead of seeing the life, the, the efforts, the power that is at work from God in the lives of other people. My life, my wants, my purpose, my interests, if they're valued above yours, I will only be led into more suffering. It's that, that man, that woman, who, who is bent on, on fulfilling their dream, and they're striving for it, forcing it. They're, they're putting time and energy because in the back of their mind, they believe if I achieve this, my life will be better. And then what happens? They achieve it, only to discover they still feel empty. Why? Because this whole time they focused on their interest and have neglected the interests of others. And for some reason, God has united human, humankind to feel value and joy and completeness when my interests and goals are aligned with yours. When we are single in purpose, when we are united in spirit, then we fulfill life. We feel joy. We experience peace. And I feel like uh, many of us struggle with that. In fact, I've had many times where my joy has been limited because I've been so hard-headed to see other people's interests. I've been so hard-headed to see other people's needs. I've been, I've been bent and trailblazed my own way, and my joy has suffered, and my suffering has uh, grown upon itself. We've been stuck in that cycle. And so Paul continues in verse 5. And I feel like as a writer, as he's writing this out, uh, he's starting to catch this wind. And you can, pick, you can feel this pickup of energy as we read this. Uh, it is beautiful section. Uh, chapter 2, verse 5. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, or some of your translations may say mindset, as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, he did not consider his equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage, something to be exploited. Some of your translations say, rather Jesus made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in, in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue 
will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can just imagine the energy and excitement swelling in Paul as he's dictating this section. He's just told the Philippians to not uh, be be self-ambitious and in a selfish way, to not have vain conceit, to value one another, and then it just clicked. I need to tell them to have the attitude of Jesus who in the very nature of God did not consider that equality to be something to be exploited. In fact, we know Jesus, he did not believe that sitting on a throne would bring salvation to the world. Instead, he came as a suffering servant to bring it to the world. He served, he came and exhausted himself, turned himself into nothing in order for lives to be seen, to for people to be changed, Jesus showed a humility that gave up heavenly rights. Literally, our God gave up. He did not exploit. He did not take advantage of his divine rights, but instead he set it aside and came into real time. A God who is outside of time, a God who is not bent or or does not uh, walk to the pace of man came. He gave away his rights to to come and be a servant of time. Hot days made him sweat. Hey, he, he was finite in his need of food. His hunger, his thirst, he sweated, he he got sunburned. This man, Jesus, grew tired and weary. He put himself under where God should be and grew tired and weary and hungry. And we know he lowered himself also to beating and betrayal. He became nothing to the point of death. Jesus gave up his divine rights. In fact, he believed it was imperative in order to save. I need to see them to serve them, and I need to serve them to save them. And this is our Jesus. And I say all of this because you and I have so many rights. We have so many rights in our modern world. Uh, We are all about equality. We're all about voicing our rights and demanding our rights. And I wonder how many of our rights have actually been exploited in our life, that we've used and taken advantage of. And in doing so, they've put blinders on our ability to see other people. Without realizing it, our human rights can quickly blind us from seeing the needs of others, the rights of others, the the, the people who do not have the same rights as us, the people that have the same rights but different interests, that as we own our rights and cling to them, we forsake the Jesus who set his rights, his divine rights aside to serve. I wonder how many of our human rights God is asking us to just put in the back burner to serve. It may be my right to do this, but for the sake of God and his name being known and the sake of serving and and valuing the interest and and, uh, the, the literal worth of others, I'll put it aside for his glory, his kingdom. And without realizing it, we don't see people. And when we don't see people, we don't serve people very well. We say, I have a right to own this land and to be here. This is my land. This is my right to say this. It's my freedom to do this. It's my right to be heard. It's my right to, to defend myself. And in our culture, we defend quicker than we serve. 
It's our rights, right? If you've been a part of Glory Church at all, you know one of our core values. We have six of them. One of our core values is that we celebrate diversity, that we celebrate and honor, and, and, and we, we uplift our differences because it is our economic or our ethnic or our age differences that actually bring in the beauty of heaven. And I have something to learn from your story that is different than my story. And as we celebrate, unity happens. But you've been with us. You know that the voice of celebration is quickly silenced by the voice of defense. And a lot of us think it's my right to defend myself or right to defend or justify myself. And at that word, we silence unity. We silence and end celebration. But I want to be a church, a place. We, We are called to be a people who do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility we regard others as more important than ourselves. And so we overlook this, but if you're part of the Glory family, you've heard this many times. In the kingdom of the world, it may be our right to defend ourselves, but in the kingdom of God, we have been made right by His defense. He is our defender. And so we mirror a Jesus who set aside his rights so that he could love, so that he could serve, so that he could be under humanity. And so those who have been made right no longer need to cling to rights. Write that down. Those who have been made right, made righteous by his blood, no longer have to cling to our rights. And so mirroring him In his attitude and mindset, we set them aside for the sake of valuing, for the sake of honoring those around us. And Jesus, if you remember the text, he took on the nature of a servant, of a servant. We're so far away from this word and understanding the concept of servants that we sort of miss the beauty of this. A servant in this time, he looked over the whole estate of his master. He was always on call. A servant would always listen and be ready to hear the will of the master and everything that the master owned was up to the servant to steward and to steward well. That in fact, all of the master's land was the servants to look after and care for. And if anyone stepped foot on the master's land, whether it was a stranger or a friend or a family member, the servant was to look upon them with value and honor and notice them that they were the guests of his master. And so they automatically would be of higher esteem than him. This is the, light, the, the likeness of a servant, and so he would see and notice. It was his job, a servant's job to notice, to note, needs, to note the needs of the people and to, uh, to aid in those needs, to provide the aid needed. And Jesus comes as the suffering servant to do just that. We see a Jesus who goes anywhere his master tells him to. He's always on call. We see Jesus do the impossible because he is listening consistently to the will of the Father, his master, and a Jesus who believes that everywhere he walks, he is in the land of his master, and so he's going to steward it well. And so he notices things that other people overlook. He leans into where other people shy away from because it's his father's land. And so he's going to, as a servant, steward it well. If anyone steps foot 
into his presence, he's going to honor them as a stranger would uh, be honored by a servant. He was going to notice them as a guest in his father's household, and he's going to treat them with the high esteem, the level of worth that they deserve as a guest. This is a Jesus who touched a leper because the leper was not just a leper. The leper was a guest in his father's land, his master's land. And so he was to be treated with high esteem and value. This is the servant that we follow. What would life be like if we looked like this? Jesus was aware of all the needs around him and he would meet needs because he was a servant. He was a servant. So Jesus set aside his heavenly rights to do the duty of a servant and consistently did it over and over. I have a question for you. Have you ever house set for someone? When Kate and I were early on in marriage, it was one of our favorite things. I mean, it feels like you're just in someone else's property and it's just this, this fun little getaway. And when we were early on married, Kate was pregnant with our twins and uh, we had this awkward few months in between our lease ending in our apartment and the closing day of our, our first house. And so we had these two months of awkwardness of where do we live? And luckily my mentor was over with his family and they had a whole getaway one summer. And so we watched their house. And uh, it, it's a fun time watching someone's house. You realize and take ownership and responsibility of things that you probably wouldn't have taken responsibility of because it's not yours. And you begin valuing things that you probably wouldn't have valued because it's not yours. And I remember we had this party, uh, a barbecue with some friends, and I guess we left the door open a lot. This summer was one of uh, fly infestation all in Arkansas. And the next day after the party, I remember hundreds, no joke, hundreds of flies being in that house where you could look up at the ceiling and parts of the ceiling were covered with flies. Like I hate flies. It was gag worthy, the amount of flies that were in that house. And we spent hours, right? You would spend hours cleaning up someone's home because you accidentally let it happen. You would steward it well. And we did that. For some reason, when we are in this scenario in someone else's house, even though it's not ours, we value it. But outside of that, we, can, we can't conceptualize that in all of life. We, we struggle to value other people's things and other people's interests when it's outside of something like that, that scenario. But this is the life that Jesus is calling us to all the time. I think that in our life, we elevate the game of life, that pursuit of the American dream, that pursuit of my plan, making my name, uh, making my mark, getting that job, having that household. And as we pursue all of those wants, all of what could be ours, something happens. In elevating the value of pursuing what could be ours, we end up minimizing the value of what isn't ours. And this happens a lot, the things that are other people's, the interests, the pursuits, the likings, the, the, the abilities, the giftings of other people. And as we pursue what could be ours, because our, our culture says pursue it, take hold of it, grab it. As we pursue what could be ours, we neglect what isn't ours until we're literally in the house 
and we start saying, thinking, should I take my shoes off? Should I care for your house a little bit? But we do not apply this scenario, this scene to everything. But what would happen if you began believing that you are not in your household ever, that you are in your master's property. Every step, every walk is, this is not your land. This is your master's land that you are called to steward well. In fact, every person that comes is not a stranger anymore. It is now a person who is in your master's land, who is of high esteem, high, of val- high value and high worth that you should honor that you should deem their likings, their interests, their, their uh, desires, their thoughts as of value. And you should get to know them, notice them, see them, because they are your father's guests, because they are your father's guests. What would life look like if we did that? How many times would we grow in unity? How many times would the name of Jesus be professed by our actions if we did that? If like our suffering servant, we lowered ourselves and started taking notice of the people around us, like they were worthy of it, because they are. They are worthy of it. It's like saying in my mind again and again, I will notice what happens in my master's household. I will notice what happens in my master's land. It's not my game of life to pursue It is his property to steward. They are his guests to love well. Those are people to see. That is value to be spoken. And please hear me when I say this. This is not that we are bending ourselves to the the agenda of people's sin. Sometimes the helping hand does hurt. Where where people are asking us to, to aid in their sin patterns. That's not what I'm saying. You're not bending yourself to the agenda of people's sin. You are, you are allowing yourself to be obedient to the agenda of the master. And he is telling you to notice, to see, to serve, to value people's interests, their loves, their likings as just as needed and honorable as your own, that you would seek to know them and see them and serve them, that he may save them. This is the beauty of the gospel, and I want to end this morning with looking at a persona, a character uh, that you have, you probably know really well if you've read the gospels, the man named Peter. Uh, He is one of Jesus's three closest disciples, and that man has a story of looking to his own interests above the interests of the others. In fact, the years that we've known him uh, at the beginning of his ministry life as he's following Jesus, he consistently puts his foot in his mouth. He says things out of hand. He does things out of hand, out of selfish ambition, out of vain conceit. He cuts an ear off (laughs) a Roman soldier. And he denies our Savior over and over to pursue his interests above those around him. And then on, in Acts, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and their lives are dramatically forever changed, and the power and, and blessing of the Holy Spirit is in him, Peter is changed. In fact, we see the next chapter. In chapter 3, Peter comes. It's an hour of prayer. And Peter comes and he is noticing something. And we see in scripture that he sees a lame man sitting outside of the gate and he notices him. 
The word is beautiful, that he sees and notices him. I believe for the, the first time we see in Peter this ability to steward God's land well. And this man is of value. And so he listens and the man asks, sir, can I have some money? And Peter responds, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And he takes his hand, and we see this man who was burdened with never being able to move and walk. He is now leaping and dancing with joy and praising and worshiping a God who saved him. And I believe it's because Peter leans in to what you and I have, the power of the Holy Spirit to take ownership and steward this world well. And no, he didn't have what the man asked. The man asked for money. But what he said is powerful. And glory, church, I leave you with this. He said, what I do have, I give to you. Start looking. This is where your interests align with the, the needs and interests of others. What you do have, you are able to give. What you do have, the giftings, the blessings, the person and life of Jesus, you do have the ability to give. And so this week, may you do so. May you humble yourself, take on the nature of a servant, set aside your rights, and give what you have. Give who you have. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.